Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're safe and sound wherever you are in the world and things are going okay for you and yours. Thanks for being here as always. The interlull is over. It's done. It's finished. Kaput. That is the last interlull that we're going to have until March of next year. I just left a little bit of silence there. For you at home or walking the dog or in the gym, are you in the gym? I don't know. Wherever you're listening to this, wherever it might be, a chance for you to make an exclamation of relief, a kind of, or a phew, one of those. Because this last interlull has been absolutely, unquestionably, irredeemably painful because it's taken so long. It came off the back of that really terrible result against Aston Villa. We've had issues with players going all over the place, with injuries, with fatigue, with travel, with a couple of Arsenal players, Mohamed Elneny and Sayed Kolasinac testing positive for COVID-19. So within this, what feels like an extraordinarily lengthy two weeks, there's been an awful lot of just pain. And now... It's over to be replaced with, well, probably a different kind of pain. The pain that only Arsenal can inflict upon us, but over the years which we have grown accustomed to and inured to and kind of battle-hardened to, we've got a shell around us which, which allows us to take this pain. Maybe, though, maybe, there'll be the opposite of pain, whatever that is. Unpain, pleasure. That's the word I was looking for. Pleasure. Who knows? If it could start this weekend against Leeds United away from home, that would be jolly pleasant indeed. And a bit later on in the show, we will be getting a Leeds perspective on this game and what sort of a challenge they're going to present to us, etc., etc. So uh, stay tuned for that. And we will now, in a couple of moments, be talking to our guest about the international break, about the demands, the physical and mental demands being placed on players, the schedules for this season, whether we need to step back and maybe take a look at things and see if uh, there's a way we can do things differently. Uh, That's all coming up now in a moment, but I just wanted to touch on a little story which came out just as I've uh, started recording here, a bit of a scrap between two Arsenal players in training, Danny Ceballos and David Luiz. 
having a go at each other. Apparently, Ceballos went in for a challenge. Luis took exception to it. There was a bit of pushing and shoving, a bit of a, a bit of a scrap, a few punches being thrown. They were separated. Then they apologized, and everything is now kind of hunky-dory. And those stories sound very dramatic, don't they? You know, players having at it. Everyone likes to think of their team as this kind of harmonious unit where everybody gets along, everyone loves each other, everybody's got each other's back, and and it all goes um, swimmingly on the training ground, on the pitch and off it. But that's not really the reality. Players uh, fight all the time. This is a competitive environment. Tempers can get a bit uh, frayed and, uh, you know, it's it's commonplace, I think, at every level of football, let's be honest, for players not to get on and for that to spill over at times. Um, and once it doesn't, once it doesn't transmit itself to the 90 minutes, then everything's okay. I mean, I remember some years ago when I was playing football, there was a guy on the team that I absolutely could not stand and he could not stand me. And in training, it used to get a little bit heated and, you know, there'd be moments where it almost, it almost spilled over. But, you know, when it came right down to it, the minute we put on those jerseys, the minute we focused on the opposition, when you realize that the job is to go out there and be together and, you know, to play as a team, to look after what's most important for the collective, you know, you're out there, you're on the pitch. And I still thought he was a massive, massive prick. There was literally nothing he could do. That would ever change my mind. But I'll tell you this. If you could take 10% of his contitude and give it to him as football talent, he'd be Lionel Messi. That's how much of a wanker he was. Swear to God. I was so glad when he left the team. So there's your uh, training ground anecdote for this particular episode. Right. Let's move on, and I'm uh, delighted to welcome back to the show somebody who we haven't had on for some time to talk about the internationals, to talk about the players and the impact it's having on them, and of course, to talk a bit of Arsenal. It's Daniel Story. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Um, Can I start by talking about internationals and the international break and the impact that it appears to have had on players and looks like it might have in the future? So Arsenal have had two players test positive for COVID-19 while they've been away. Um, these international breaks, we've seen extra games squeezed in because it's uh, it's money for the national associations for broadcasting rights. Is there ever a point where um, we can sit here and, and acknowledge the fact that player welfare is not high on the list of people organising these games, but it becomes an increasingly important consideration as we go forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, quite euphemistically, that I, I could be a little bit more angry about it. I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's it's treating players as as robots and performer circus, performing circus animals. And and I think the reality is is that the only way it changes is if the player associations themselves um, begin to kick up more of a fuss. You know, FIFA Pro in particular, and I've heard obviously some noises from them this week. I think about the the workload that players are facing particularly with an international tournament next summer in, in Europe so yeah we are we are guilty of of this with football time and time again both in kind of judgment of individual players and their personalities and their lives away from football and also I think in general about this kind of all-encompassing all-powerful demand for for football to be there when we need it mm. um 
without necessarily judging or taking note of what what that means for for players and managers uh, it's an interesting one isn't it because um international football is something which i think is a little bit divisive some people like it some people love it some people just don't care for it at all um but as fans you know we have this desire to see football and when um when football shut down in March and, and came back in June, it was one of those things which kind of went some way to keep us sane. I think we were all happy to have football back. And part of the reason I think it was not acceptable is the wrong word, but we could see how it might work is because we were we were told about these uh, bubbles that players were going to exist in, right? So mm-hmm. a club could not easily but uh, put in place protocols and manage the way players trained and and everything else. And there was uh, research done into how much contact players have on the pitch and whether that was safe with with COVID-19 and everything else. So this idea that, you know, for Premier League and lower league football, you know, you you stay within this kind of bubble as much as possible and everybody had to do their own thing in terms of um, social distancing and their own uh, sort of bubbles at home. But the minute you bring international football into the equation, that goes pretty much out the window. It's much more difficult to um, contain the spread of a virulent virus when you're uh, bringing players and staff and managers and and all the associated people in from various countries through various airports, traveling by plane, traveling by buses, all of those things. So was it inevitable that uh, one of the consequences of uh, international football um, was going to be a rise in in positive cases for COVID nineteen. Yeah, I think I think that that absolutely figures. I think there's probably a balancing act here that is the same balancing act, in fact, that's kind of playing out in 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 inverted commas normal life. Um, in that, some things need to be opened up. Anything we do when a virus is is raging across the planet, anything is a risk. Um, but everything becomes a you know a calculated risk and i think they 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 felt that with these bubbles that that the players are ideally in and i think more importantly with the mass testing that it going is going on Mm. at international level um it should be that said that falls down i think in in some parts of the world or maybe associations that are less well off but for the for the major nations that this mass testing program is their way of of catching it um and stopping the spread to other teammates. Um, so I think it was a calculated risk. And I think, to be honest, I think with the Nations League, I, I can see why they did it. My, my big gripe with all this, and I, I'm one of the lovers of international football, but my big gripe is the is the friendly games because that felt like it was um, kind of going beyond the pale on both points. Both that the games were unnecessary and therefore the travel of players was unnecessary regarding COVID and that the games were unnecessary in, in, with regards to soft tissue injuries and unnecessary you know, strain on players that, that, that seemed completely superfluous. There was no need to play three, inter- three internationals across a, a two-week break, as far as I'm concerned. So how do we find the balance then between, uh, for example, what Gareth Southgate was talking about during the week about how there was sort of pressure... Um, he didn't really go into too much detail, but maybe pressure from club managers regarding the use of, of players. For example, Bakayo Saka, who's only 19, played three games for England, 290 minutes, uh, and he had a 50-odd minute cameo uh, against Belgium, I think. Um, you know, how do... Uh, 
how do you find the balance between player welfare, the needs of an international manager? He said, we need these games. We have mm. to play them. Um, I, you know, I think the Nations League, um, a thing I still don't understand, and I, I've just no, uh, no interest whatsoever in discovering how it works or what the purpose of it is. Uh, you know, they're, they're one thing. At least you can say they're competitive f- fixtures. But the friendlies, you know, do international managers have a responsibility not to clubs but to the players that they bring in to to sort of to manage them in a way which doesn't then leave them exposed or more susceptible or culpable or, or susceptible I think is the right word to injury when they go back to play for their clubs yeah I think it's a it's a really really difficult issue it's so layered because um, I actually feel for, for managers like Gareth Southgate in that I think football has become so tribalistic towards the club game that that you're right what you said at the top of top of our chat that a lot of supporters and I think it's a growing number of supporters see international football as a um, something to be mistrusted um, because players go away and may come back and injured and and, and you know an added layer to that this year is that they may also come back contracted with COVID-19 I think that's incredibly hard for an international manager to to balance up because the reality is is he's under just as much pressure as the club managers are for his reputation for his future career and he thinks well you know he may think well hang on a minute you knew these games were coming up they've always been in the diary I was always going to pick my strongest squad because I'll get flack if I don't Mm. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to pick who I can and that's very much the you know the the natural line but inevitably, there is some give and take with, with club managers. You've got managers who will have whispers in the ear, who will have good relationships with certain international managers who will say, hang on a minute, if you could just do me a favour and not play them in this one or not play them in that one. Mm. But again, I, I feel for, for Southgate, the, the, the obvious example in this international break is, is Trent Alexander-Arnold, who, who picks up an injury having played six or seven games in 20-odd days for Liverpool and starting every one of them. If that injury happens at England training, Gareth Southgate gets the flack for that. Yeah. And um, the reality is, is this is a build-up, which is, uh, and both the club and international game is to blame, but the managers aren't to blame. It's it's people way above them. So I mean, it's it's very difficult, isn't it, to think of a way, um, you know, particularly when you're talking about the best players at a club, because a manager um, at a club level is under pressure. He needs to get results. He's going to use his best players. Fans, if you said to them, "Look, we're going to leave this guy out this week. He's one of our best players, but you know, he's played a lot. We're going to have to leave him out to rest him." Uh, Otherwise, he might pick up a serious injury. You leave him out and the result doesn't go your way. The understanding is not quite the same, is it? You know? No, um, no it isn't. So that comes down to uh, the kind of increased patience and the kind of almost that consumerist demand for, for perfection from, from supporters that uh, is, is just one symptom of, of the modern game. You know, it, there is so much less margin for error and so much less margin for common sense and reason, really, with these things, that you can understand why players feel under enormous pressure to play every week. Because if you are a player that says to a manager, I'm just not quite feeling it this week, 20 years ago, maybe that wouldn't have come out. Now, people will find that out, and that will be transposed or warped into this player's mentally weak, or this player doesn't fancy, or this Mm. player doesn't care enough. It's such such a hard balance to weigh up. Yeah, and... and (sighs) Is it is it likely to get any better? I know that this season that we're um, 
I was going to say enduring. Uh, that might be just my Arsenal <laughs> perspective at this moment in time. But but this this particular season, when everything is so compacted, the schedule, you know, there was no concession, for example, by um, uh, leaving out the League Cup or anything like that. We've still got Europa League. We've still got Premier League. We've got League Cup. We've got FA Cup. We've got internationals. We've got more internationals than ever, you know, in these two-week periods, three games in two weeks, you know, and players are expected to come back and, and, and do it. You know, if we return to some sort of normality um, you know if there is a a successful and a healthy fingers crossed post-COVID world that we're all going to exist in is is it likely in any way that we might then step back and say look for the good of the player's welfare from a physical point of view and from a mental point of view from the good of a fan's perspective in that the the quality of the fare that you're being served up. If you if you've got, you know, players who are fatigued and half injured or playing through injuries, you know, the quality of the football is is impacted in some way as well. Um, you know, is there any way that we might step back and and address some of these issues? Because it feels like we've been talking about this kind of thing forever. And if anything it's getting worse. And I know there are external factors to that, but I, I also feel like, you know, um, some of the, the, the plans um, about, you know, the, the European Super League, the FIFA tournament with X amount of uh, uh, players from, or clubs from X amount of countries, uh, you know, all of these things are just designed to burden players even further rather than say, look, there is a limit to what we can expect human bodies to do. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Um, the The reality is is that those plans and, and formulated structures are purely from a financial aspect, purely from a broadcasting and a sponsorship and marketing aspect. The more football there is, the more money they can make. Um, but the game is in, in danger, in my mind, of forgetting who it is that maybe not powers the game in terms of you know the money machine, but powers the game in terms of the spectacle, and that's the players. And if they are... You know, if your product is diminished through overwork, then eventually that will start to affect the money. You know, it might be a, a causal effect. It might be a long way down the line, but it will happen. Um, I, I was surprised that they uh, allowed international friendlies this season. I'm surprised that the League Cup carried on, I have to say, although I suspect that was because they, they thought if they got rid of it for one season, it might never come back. Um, but, yeah, there doesn't seem to have been anything any kind of resolution or, or halfway meeting of minds with the players. Um, will it change? I would say, and call me a cynic, but I would say that the more likely effect is, is larger squads of players. There's just more players um, on on huge wage budgets and with the, the richest clubs being able to afford even more of them. I would say that's a more likely scenario than than agreeing to make less money with fewer competitions and fewer matches. But mm. as I say, call me a cynic, but there's plenty of evidence for that. Sure. I mean, I mean, is the only way that it might possibly happen if the players come together en masse to, to talk about it? But then we go back to that issue that you, you have before where nobody wants to be the guy who says, I don't want to play. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, it's not so much I don't want to play. It's just I don't want to play this much or I can't play as well as you want me to play if I'm being asked to play this much. Yeah, and it's the optics of, as you say, it's the optics of doing that. It's the way, it's the, it's the player that puts the head above the parapet. Are they known as a, you know, a whistleblower for the good of the game and for the good of their, their peers? Or are they known as someone who maybe 
just didn't fancy it. Mm. Um, football is still, certainly in this country, is still kind of locked into that kind of headspace, I think, that um, admitting any form of uh, weakness is, is seen as a negative rather than a strength. And I think it will take a large collection of players and a large collection of international players. And and I think it will have to be done through PFA, through FIFPRO. Uh, Pro is the one that you think if, if they can get enough heads together, they can maybe make a... Um, you know, a suggestion that that quite frankly players are being put through the mill. But it goes back to these hardwired views of footballers. People still see footballers as overpaid and earning huge amounts of money for running around. So how dare you moan about it? And the only way they do moan about it is when the product is diminished. The ideally we would do something before that happens, but I don't really have any faith in that. Where do you stand on the idea of, uh, okay, the, not the idea, but the decision that was made at Premier League level to go back to using just three substitutes and the increased talk now about the five subs being reintroduced, as we saw after the lockdown? It really surprised me that um, that this was reverted um, for this season, given all the the evidence that people had of how hectic the schedule was going to be and what the physical demands were going to be on players. I know not every club was um, against it, but uh, we could talk about perhaps the 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 advantage it might give some of the clubs uh, in a moment, but just, um, you know, what we're seeing now in terms of the injuries, in terms of, you know, players and clubs being, or uh, players being unavailable to clubs because they've contracted COVID-19 because they've been away on their travels. It, it, it diminishes the squads that they have available to them. Therefore, it increases the physical demands on the, the players that are there, which then in turn uh, increases the likelihood of injuries and fatigue and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, would you be happy to see a return to that it, it is coming in in the efl um the premier league is now about the only holdout yeah i'm I, i'm holding my hands and say I, I got this completely wrong i thought that I, I both wasn't surprised that the clubs voted against it and i was kind of reassured i did see it as this kind of fairly heavy weighting towards the biggest clubs and i think that probably is still true you know the the depth of quality they will be mm. able to have on their benches is higher than other clubs i've no doubt about that and it gives those managers more options not just from an injury point of view because if you allow those subs for injuries you also allow them for for tactical reasons as well um but um as i say i got it wrong because the sheer number of of injuries so far this season means that um, I think it will go back to the five subs and I think we will fall in line with, with EFL and the rest of Europe. And, you know, it should be said in my part defence that <laughs> various clubs have changed their minds on that as well. Um, they they clearly saw, the majority of the Premier League saw it as weighted toward the big clubs and they may well still think that, but they, they, they also are now looking at the well-being of their own players and thinking, well, hang on a minute, I think we're just going to have to bite the bullet and go with this. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I see that argument. Obviously, when you're a team like Man City or or maybe to an extent Liverpool, um, Chelsea perhaps, you know, I think there is a, the, the ability to field a, a much more um, deep bench and perhaps more quality on that bench. But at the same time, I think in general, the, the level of player at Premier League level is 
I'm not going to say standard, but you know there are there aren't that many players who stand out way above all the rest. And perhaps um, you know the the ability to introduce fresh legs, the ability to um, tweak your team tactically in games to to maybe hold on to a lead or to try and stay in a game as well is something that I think could be quite interesting for for managers of, of the so-called smaller clubs. Like I don't think the the advantage is quite as big as some people have made out. No, and and it, it's, it should be said that in whatever game is being played, um, it's a heck of a lot less of an advantage than if you get th- either three or four players injured or mm. players with fitness doubts and fatigue who are having to just carry on from the 70th minute onwards. I think we've noticeably seen this season in the Premier League, uh, you know, watching games, uh, you know, throw-ins take 10 seconds longer in the last 10 minutes and players are played safer because they're just, they're just shorn of all energy. So, that provides its own advantages and disadvantages anyway. So, yeah, I've I've completely turned my opinion on it, I have to say. All right. Well, look, we'll see what happens there. Um, discussions, we believe, are, are ongoing. Quite when it might be changed. If it's going to be changed, we don't know, but we'll wait and see. It, it just strikes me that it would be folly not to, particularly as we are going to have this... Um, uh, traditionally hectic schedule over the Christmas period as well as we always do in English football um, with League Cup games um, FA Cup coming up in January as well and all the Premier League fixtures that are going to be taking place so we'll see what happens there but look I want to move on I want to talk a bit about Arsenal and you know we've had a fairly introspective couple of weeks as Arsenal fans um, after the defeat to Aston Villa. It was sort of sandwiched, um, or the the it was one part of a sandwich. The middle part of which was the win over Manchester United at Old Trafford, which was obviously positive. But the week before that was a defeat at home to Leicester. So you know there's been a lot to chew on, a lot to look at, um, and I, I I feel sometimes as Arsenal fans we can kind of go round the houses a little bit on this. So I'm curious, you know, from your perspective as a non-Arsenal fan somebody from the from the outside looking in if you like you know what what do you make of what's been going on at Arsenal in the last number of weeks and obviously sort of extrapolating backwards a bit from when Arteta took over just a, just under a year ago or just over is it just under just under a year ago it was December last year so we're in November now you know the, the work that he's been doing in that period of time I think the, the 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 strategy and the you know to use the buzz phrase of 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 the time his philosophy is spot on. I think there's a there's a clear plan in there, and I don't think Arsenal were ever going to move forward sustainably with the the budgets they are now forced to operate under in comparison with other members of the Big Six unless they had that clear philosophy in place. Um, and it also doesn't surprise me that that occasionally that philosophy ends in shambolic defeat you look at you look at Arteta's you know his great mentor Pep Guardiola and even now when Manchester City collapse they collapse big and Mm. I think that's what happens with these philosophy managers that when they have a very strict way of playing when something undermines that or forces you into adversity it can be very hard to switch out of it and fix things and you are more likely to slip further into that adversity within the, the course of a single match and I think that's what we've seen from from Arsenal. Um, but I think the plan is right. I think my, my only major sticking point with the plan is, and, and it's nothing new to say here, is is the chance creation mm. and the makeup of that front three because I fully understand why he considers Mesut Ozil not part of that first-team squad now, but he has to find a way of creating more chances, whether that's you know moving Aubameyang central, whether it's 
playing Saka wide left. Whatever it is, he has to find a solution to that because I think that is a major sticking point in in that philosophy as a whole. Um, the passing out from the back, I love it. I, I you know I loved that comment when when they said you know does it worry you watching Arsenal pack out, pass out from the back and he said it would worry me more if we weren't doing it. Mm. I love that. I think that's everything that Arsenal need to be in in twenty twenty. Um, but this isn't you know this progress isn't going to be a gradual line. You know that, that sails merrily towards a wonderful zenith in two years' time. There are going to be huge pitfalls along the way, and and the hope is that Arteta commands enough patience and fans that they work through those. Yeah, I mean, this is where we are. It's it's whether the you know the the, the knowledge that there's a a medium term plan in place here to put things right after they've been. Well, wrong is perhaps the the wrong word, but they haven't been as uh, as good as they should be over the last number of years. It does take time to put those things right. But when you get, you know, walloped at home by Aston Villa mm. and you get sucker punched by Jamie Vardy in a way that pretty much everybody watching that game could see coming, <laughs> you know, it's difficult to, to, to find that balance. It was quite interesting today. He was talking about... Um, he was talking uh, about what he needs to do and and the reaction to the Aston Villa game. And he was talking to B in sport and he said, I think you're always tempted after a bad result to change everything you do. And I think that's a really bad temptation because a lot of things are working and it's really clear on the things that we want to improve on and how we're going to do it. Um, he said, now it's time to ref- uh, reflect and be critical about the things that you can improve. So, you know, He's not going to absolutely change his philosophy or change his um, instructions to the team, but he does have to when a when a result like Villa happens and when a performance like Villa happens. And when you're a young manager, um, remember this is his first job and everything else, even if it doesn't sort of shift you fundamentally from what you think is the right thing to do, it must be the kind of thing from which you take lessons or you learn lessons or you look at and say well okay how do we a avoid that happening again and b how do we how do we address this this kind of fundamental issue that is running through the team this season which is chance creation it's not just the villa game it is something that has been going on for the whole season yeah it it absolutely is and you know it might be that the arteta reasons that this is a, a philosophy that is quite literally built out from the back that as they improve as they have improved passing out from the back that will eventually move into midfield and then the final cherry on the cake if you like is that they will sort the chance of creation out that that may well be true we haven't really seen any evidence of that yet um but i do think that the improvements he's made defensively in terms of the style uh, I think fully vindicate his approach so far. You know, even forget about the the poor results because they will happen and they happened before. I think that there is something building there. Um, he the question is exactly as you say whether he can do that without he decides he can do it without a number ten and that's fine. Uh, and it's all very well as as a live blogging Arsenal matches from his Twitter feed. That 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 ship has sailed now. So he has to find another way through that, whether it's Thomas Partey driving through midfield, whether I say it's Bakaya Saka playing on the left, whether it's Nicola Pepe playing on the right. There's just something not quite clicking there. And my worry is that, that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang signed a new contract. And you know, in very recent history, there are two very high-profile former and current Arsenal players who signed big new deals and mm. promptly went off the boil. And it would be a great shame if... if 
Aubameyang was the third of those. Well, yeah, it certainly would. But I, I think um, there's a need to give him... If he was missing lots of chances, I think mm. we might be more worried. The fact that he's not getting any chances uh, speaks perhaps more to a structural problem, a systemic problem than, than a sort of decline in the player himself. And, you know, you're sitting here and I'm sort of sitting here after the Villa game thinking we've got to do something different. We have to do something, whether it's in midfield. I think the answer probably lies, you know, in the front three and also midfield, um, Mm. you know, to move the ball a bit more quickly. And you're going to Leeds away and you know what a a scrap that is going to be against a a Bielsa team. And then you're thinking, well, Saka played three games for England. Kieran Tierney played three games for Scotland, one of them which went to extra time. So he's done 120 minutes and a penalty shootout. And he's done a lot of traveling as well. Aubameyang spent the night on on an airport floor. Nicolas Pepe, you know, has gone from one side of Africa to the other side of Africa and back. You know, players have have contracted COVID-19. You still don't know, or they still don't, know you know who's coming back and in what state you know that this is on a Thursday as we're speaking you know they're going to be assessing those players and then you have a training session on Friday may a training session on Saturday and you're probably going to go to Leeds on on the Sunday to there isn't time really to put in place something uh brand new is there you know for any manager regardless of the experience they have or anything else you know to to try and uh, put in place a whole new tactical setup or or system just isn't possible in that short amount of time in these no, circumstances. And then, yeah, yeah, and that, and that is the mantra of the philosophy manager. It's that we do everything we do to such an extent and in such fine detail, and we repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until it becomes muscle memory. And then you don't need to train those aspects. That as soon as you come back to Arsenal, you click into Arsenal mode and you know how to play. Mm. That's what he's working towards. Um, there is no, there's almost no issue behind the front three, I don't think. Um, if Arsenal take their chances, this it'll create more chances and take them as they have been doing in previous seasons. Everything looks very rosy, I'm sure of that. Um, but it is something he's going to have to solve. Uh, I, I I am not too worried about you know the players coming back from international duty now. I don't think that is when the fatigue will hit in. I think the fatigue will hit in February March time. I think they will be okay at the moment. But yeah, I mean we're going to have to see something different because no no reasonable Arsenal fan you know will get highly frustrated at, at one off failure. They will if they see that you know, failure or setback is followed by setback is followed by setback with no obvious change of, of mm. ethos because that's that's when fans begin to worry that players are losing the faith in it. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Just for, very finally, this season's Premier League, you know, if you looked at the last couple of seasons, um, under normal circumstances, you would have said, Probably another dogfight between Liverpool and Man City, the two dominant teams in the league. But everything is so up in the air and things are so strange and and unexpected things are happening now. And I think unexpected things are going to happen in the next three months and also unexpected things in the final three months of the season. Um, are um, Are you expecting a season of kind of, whoa, what the fuck was that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think we've grown to expect it now. You know, the notion of home advantage seems to be almost null. Um, The notion of form even seems to be 
up in the air. Certainly the notion of a crude form from last season is. Mm. My suspicion, and, and I've been wrong many times before and will be again, my suspicion is that when that fatigue does hit in spring, that the clubs with the biggest resources um, will kind of move clear from the rest. But that, that clearly depends on them not being involved in European competition, which I think provides a huge, huge advantage to clubs like Leicester and Wolves and Southampton and then even Everton this season. Um, I still think it will be a, a not a shootout between Liverpool and Manchester City, but I think they will probably be the top two. Um, but you can't say anything with any huge certainty, and albeit in pretty horrible circumstances, that is quite refreshing for a Premier League season. Mm. Okay, well, look, we'll uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I think there are going to be surprises this weekend and every weekend to come. Uh, Daniel, good to talk to you again. Stay safe, and uh, thanks a million. And you, Andy. Thank you. Thanks to Daniel. You can find him on Twitter at DanielStory85. That's at DanielStory85. Just a quick update on the thing I mentioned last week, the um, hashtag ArseBiz thread on Twitter, which is trying to put Arsenal-supporting businesses in touch with Arsenal-supporting customers, or indeed any customers or any businesses, small businesses leading up to Christmas who've been impacted by the restrictions and everything else regarding COVID-19. We want to try and help you find customers, and we want customers and people out there who want to spend their money with small businesses, you know, a chance to find people who they like and, and to see their money go a bit further this Christmas in terms of what shopping they're going to do. The thread, the link to it is in the uh, show notes, so you can check it out. You can search hashtag arsebiz, arsebiz on Twitter, and you'll find people in there posting up links to their businesses. They tell you what they do, where they are, so maybe there's something there that tickles your fancy. And we are working on a website as well, so we can get all these businesses together and we can have them in one kind of handy page slash classified section. So that's coming soon also. Uh, But don't forget, if you are a business owner and you want to contribute, just look at the thread, leave your business details. And if you're interested as somebody who wants to spend money with with, uh, small businesses, uh, just check out the thread as well until such time as we can get that website up and running. We'll give you details on the site and, of course, on the podcast when we do. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Right, ahead of our trip to Allend Road on Sunday, the first one for quite some time. I thought I'd get a bit of Leeds perspective on this game. I'm delighted to welcome to the show from the Leeds That podcast. We've got Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? I am all right. Let me ask you this first before we get into other things. Um, as an Arsenal fan, we've looked at this international break and seen players go to various corners of the world. We've had a couple of players who've contracted COVID-19 who won't be available to play on Sunday. Uh, we're slightly worried about certain players in terms of fatigue and uh, how much they've played over the international break. Have you guys had to contend with much of that or any of that or, or what, what's what been going on? Yeah, we've had... Uh, I don't think anybody has been sleeping on airport floors, but um, <laughs> I couldn't believe that. That's crazy, Especially, isn't it? They weren't in Heathrow Airport or uh, anywhere with an airport lounge, were they? No, so, I don't uh, think so. And um, it seemed quite deliberate as well. Yeah. Um, we've had... Um, actually, this was highlighted by Neil Warnock, who was angry about one of his players. Uh, but uh, Stuart Dallas pl- has played three games for Northern Ireland, including one that went to extra time last week. Right. Um, we've had Robin Koch, who's played for Germany for across a similar amount of times, including a an absolute drubbing by Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Matthias Click played uh, in a, a game on Wednesday night as well for Poland against the Netherlands. So, yeah, there have been quite a few, but I think they've come out of this one with a relatively clean bill of health compared to the last international break where we lost two central defenders... <laughs> and um, we have had a player out with COVID previous to the, prior to the international break. So the international break actually meant for us that he's served his uh, quarantine period mm. and and is available. So this this one has been tough on the fatigue, but not not bad on the injury front for us, fortunately. Okay, well, that's good. It'll just be the the nuts and bolts of the Premier League and all the other competitions and football they have to play between now and the end of the season, which will knacker the players uh, across the Premier League. So let me ask you, what's it like being back in the Premier League after so long uh, being away and having missed out in, um, I guess, fairly heartbreaking circumstances last season? Uh, what, What does it feel like to be back with the big boys where I guess you, you feel like you belong. It's, uh, it's, I think surreal is the only word for it because Mm. it's surreal on every front. Um, I've had a season ticket for 18 years. I got a season ticket just at the point when we sacked David O'Leary, appointed Terry Venables, (laughs) sold Rio Ferdinand (laughs) at the peak of his career. And then, uh, it, it just blew up the next season. We, uh, and, I shouldn't really bring this up, but the, the next season we only stayed up by beating Arsenal three two in the in that classic game. At, but that handed Man United the title, mm, so bittersweet. That one's another bittersweet <laughs> one. Uh, and then the year after we were awful, and I, I went to Highbury that year and watched us lose five nil. Mm. Um, and it was uh, that's my only and and I'm fairly sure you're not allowed to play Thierry Henry this this weekend. Well, he, he oh. filled his boots. He even came out of retirement to fill his boots against us in the FA Cup in our That's right. That is so, right, um, yeah. So looking at your injury list and COVID list, I don't know whether they'll be somehow bringing Thierry Henry out. It, it, that would be typical. At this point, um, uh, I'd be willing to try anything given how difficult oh. it is for us to create chances. But 
but yeah, it's 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 totally surreal because they've been up and down the country for for sixteen years in in lower divisions, and it hasn't all been terrible. And there's been some real highlights, but there's been some some woeful football. And uh, yeah, it, so it's it's great to be back, but we're not back in person, and yeah. we we. Um, for for me, for some, I mean, how you choose to consume your football is in, entirely up to you. And uh, I'm not someone who judges people who who don't physically go to the games. But for for someone who who has been used to going, mm. um, missing out and watching it entirely on 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 the telly compared to going to all the home games, sure. it feels like a totally different experience. It is. So, it is a yeah. It is a weird thing, isn't it? Because you know, as as Arsenal fans. You know, we missed out on the FA Cup final, for example, and and being there in person and and being able to celebrate that and that sort of distance that you uh, you feel, whether you like it or not. I think there is a distance when you can't be in the stadium or you can't go to games, um, even if you're an irregular goer like I am or attendee. I think is mm. the better word than goer, but you know you do miss that connection with. Uh, with the team and the players and everything else, are you a are you a crowd noise on or crowd noise off guy when you're watching on TV? On, uh, right. Although, for when I'm watching Leeds games, I, I don't notice because I'm engrossed in it. But if I was watching a general game, mm. I can't watch it without the without the noise because yeah. it's it just looks like a training game. And whilst the crowd noise on definitely makes it feel like FIFA, like a computer game. Um, it's okay. It takes that edge off it because I don't think if I'm ever watching on the telly, I spend too much time looking at the uh, who's in the stands. Mm. So it just it makes it that little bit more normal, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that must be one of the things that's difficult to deal with, having you know been out for so long and now you're back and nobody can go. I, I hadn't considered that uh, aspect of it. Um, yeah. So tell me about uh, Marcelo Bielsa and what sort of an impact he's had and how. Uh, how his work has has transmitted itself, um, you know, to the team, to the players, and to the fans when you guys were were able to be there. Well, I think it's not even just the club; it's the the city, it's the entire ethos. It's when some, someone comes in like that, who whose impact permeates throughout everything. Um, he has taken a, a a team that finished lower mid-table the season before and taken them to champions within two years. And, you know, the, the last few results, well, the last couple of results haven't been good, but I think we've shown what we what we can do and mm. it's, a, it's a different league. So it, there is a working out period. So where we end up is still pretty much anyone's guess, but no one would say that we've come up and... Uh, like Fulham and West Brom have, have struggled to show any kind of glimpses of, of of real form and Premier League kind of qualities, but I think we've we've shown that, and it's testament to him that we've been able to do it. It's his philosophy is based around it's it's all based around hard work, really, mm. and, and knowing your role inside out. And it's it can be like watching a different sport um, at times, and that's. It's one of the things that I've always reflected on is that we spent 16 years and you you spend money on the next... Everyone wants to spend the most money on the next forward or you're spending it because you need a left back. And 
it turned out spending four million on the manager of bringing in someone who <laughs> who knew his stuff was what it had needed, and he he transformed the culture of the club. It's it's truly it has been completely transformational. The club at that point to to now doesn't look the same thing. It's, mm. it's a totally different thing, and clearly he's got buy in from the players. Yeah, 100% by yeah. And those that didn't, because there are players that we've had who you might have thought were better players on paper, but if they didn't buy in and they weren't part of, part of it, they've gone. Uh, so, for example, Pontus Janssen, who uh, Swedish international um, centre-half, he went at the end of the first season and he, he'd been a great player for us and he was a, a, a great defender, um, played at the World Cup and he picked us up as fans when things weren't great and you always felt there was something there. Mm. But he, I think ultimately his attitude that, that wasn't, he didn't fully buy into it. He he knew he was great, but whatever it was, it wasn't 100% on board with Bielsa. Mm. And he went for 5 million to Brentford um, and, we've, and we brought in Ben White, who was at that point unknown um on loan from Brighton and he played every game and the the group is so tight knit um and it's it, i i this is a real exaggeration but i would say that there is potential that we've got the worst paper on team but uh, sorry yeah. the worst team on paper but the but the best coach on paper and that the combination mm. is is what makes it it work if you you took Bielsa out of the equation and put in almost anyone else, and we'd really struggle. Mm. I just see it's interesting because you know there's something slightly similar going on at Arsenal at the moment with Mikel Arteta and and what he talks about are non-negotiables. So things that he wants from his players, whether it's um, their attitude in training or their attitude in the games or their ability to adhere to instructions. It's kind of a vague idea, but it, the, the idea is the same. You buy into what I'm doing or you don't. And like um, what happened to uh, Pontus Janssen, we've had some high-profile players um, you know, who've fallen by the wayside. And it's great when you get results and you get yourself promoted and you're back in the Premier League. When it doesn't quite work or when results aren't going your way, it leaves you open to questions which I think is quite an interesting aspect of where Arteta is in his journey as a manager right now. Yeah, I would say that's that's one thing I think in the past, where we, I mean, we've you could take your pick from managers because we've had so many, mm. but um, the buy-in hasn't necessarily been there. And that's not just the players, it's the fans as well. So how well-liked and how well-respected that manager is will depend on how long it takes the the fans, the press, the owners to, to question them. Mm. And that question mark has been such a tiny minority of fans would question Bielsa because of what he's done. He's earned the right to have this point in the Premier League where we've just been beaten 4-1, two games in a row. Mm. And people... People understand it and accept it and take it on the chin. And I haven't heard anybody say, oh, it's Bielsa. And, you know, maybe, mm. maybe fans of a couple of other clubs because we have we have plan A. And if plan A isn't working, then plan B is that 
you do plan A better. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds very familiar to me right at this moment in time. Well, it, he won't change it, but it's been, we've been slightly unfortunate with personnel, slightly unfortunate with uh, individual errors, and uh, incredibly unfortunate with VAR lines that are drawn on a pitch. Oh yeah, um, and those kind of moments hugely change games. But from within, nobody's questioning that. We, we were really lucky. We got to speak on our podcast with Calvin Phillips about a month ago. And when you speak to a, a player and you you hear the buy-in and the acceptance, and they said he said, they, in terms of targets and goals, they're just setting themselves to win the next game. Mm. And if they don't win it, the target is to win the next game. And they're that confident that those little things won't affect it. But having the international break at this point and seeing what he does to tweak it in terms of where those goals were coming from. Um, he'll have studied hours and hours of tapes from maybe years and years ago to try and find the little solutions that you tinker to to make this right. So for us, it's interesting to see what does come next because on on the face of it, two four one games do look like a drubbing, but the balance of playing those games and other things it wasn't quite so and it, yeah. it's it truly is fine margins that would need changing in order to make those much more uh, stellar performances that were in, in line with or results that were in line with how the rest of the season had gone to that point yeah it's very interesting this because you know we're coming into this game on the bank of a 3-0 defeat to Aston Villa um which was probably our worst performance ever under Mikel Arteta. Um, it was really bad. We had a winner over Man United, but we got beaten by Leicester at home, a 1-0. You know, and it wasn't the kind of game in which we were outplayed. It was fine margins. We had a goal disallowed by VAR, which should have stood. And then, of course, Jamie Vardy popped up and fucking Jamie Vardy'd us, as everybody could see. <laughs> well, you know? We got Jamie Vardy. Uh, so don't, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no statement Jamie Vardy. It, it's just quite interesting that, you know, you, you, I'm not saying, I'm not speaking for anybody else. I can just sort of sense the mood around the Arsenal fan base and, and what have you that, you know, people aren't quite as sanguine about the defeats um uh, as you are about those, which isn't to say you're accepting of them or anything else. But what we're seeing now is two managers who are very um, wedded to their ideas and the way that they approach the game and what they want from their players going into a fixture, both of whom, uh, you know, have lost going into the international break. And we're sitting here as fans going, what are they going to do to change it? What are they going to do to, you know, make more chances from an Arsenal perspective? What are Leeds going to do to make themselves more defensively secure? It's quite interesting, isn't it, to see these two things come together? It's almost like each manager has got something different to fix. Absolutely. And um, I think for us, uh, when uh, when Bielsa came in, he told Calvin, Calvin Phillips that often he'd been played all over the midfield but mm. often more, more um, in an attacking position and he told him that from studying the tapes for him that he'd seen him as a defensive midfielder now when we, and and he became essentially within two years England's defensive midfielder um, taking him out of that equation and playing someone who hasn't really played there exposed us um, far more and so we've if Phillips is back that kind of answers that one mm. if he's not 
it is more of a question around what he does in this area because it will be a similar setup to to previous. Now, thinking about what you said about the uh, the fine margins and the results, we beat Aston Villa three nil. Mm. Um, we could have lost that game three nil. It was it was a brilliant performance, but we performed to certain levels. It, like they talk about the metrics and and all the other. If you look at our possession, passing completion, all the statistics, it they will be very similar across all the games, whether we win, win, lose or draw. Mm. It's it, it comes down to those little moments in games that need change because we cleared one off the line in the first half against Aston Villa. Grealish should have squared one and but instead ran the length of the pitch and tried to score himself because for whatever reason. And at, at those moments in games, we could have been 1-0 down or 1-1 or various points yeah, yeah. and we went on to win 3-0. So it's... It's really about how the... It truly is about how the fine margins come. But those kind of games where teams have set up to attack us or try and play on the front foot rather than sit sit tight, sit deep, and then punish us with their pace or, or pounce on mistakes. We've done better in those open games. So depending on how, you know, Arsenal come and, mm. and, and set up, that's where the chances will be. Very interesting because, you know, the, the there is this clamour for, you know, for Arsenal to do more and be more effective from an attacking perspective. You know, there's plenty of talent there, but we're just not creating the shooting opportunities. And, and when we miss chances, we're, we're kind of gutted because we know there aren't going to be as many chances as you, as you would like in a game. And our perhaps biggest results have come um, in games where we've sat and we've let the opposition have the ball. And then we've tried to, you know, work it out from the back and work those channels and give it to Aubameyang and let him score those goals. So, you know, I think uh, Bielsa is obviously a very um, accomplished tactical coach and uh, Arteta is somebody in the very early stages of his career, but, you know, has spoken about Bielsa and how much he admires him and working with Pep Guardiola, again, a, a very tactical coach. It feels like this could be something of a chess game on Sunday. It, it certainly could be, um, particularly if if Arteta's looking at the way that we've been beaten in the last couple of games and is wanting to play that little bit more compact and realizing that that there are frailties and there there will be chances. It might not be that front foot pressing, attacking football that maybe Arsenal fans would want to see. But yeah. you have a great chance of getting a result out of playing the way that people don't necessarily want to see. Yeah. If, if it's if it's a case of come out and go for the thing that's most likely to get the result, or is it a case of come out and try and do the things that people are clamoring to see see them do this is where the 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 single-minded manager has to kind of believe in what he thinks is the right way to get the result rather than not bowing to pressure but being you know um bendable to the will of of fans and maybe this is the absence of fans is playing a part in this as well so it's going to be very very interesting to see just finally what is you know what is the ambition this season for for Leeds I know after a long time out just staying up sounds like it would be good but you know is there something more that you're looking for from this season do you feel like you can do more um it is a weird 
Premier League season with everything that's going on and and there's the potential I think for you know for for some surprises when we look at the table at the end of the season so is that something you're hoping for confident about or or you're just kind of on the journey and seeing where you end up I think before the before we started the season the aim was to not be Norwich City um (laughs) As fans, and you're watching it, then we've come out and uh, like the, the. I know I'm probably name checking a bit, but we, we were really proud to get that Calvin Phillips interview. But it's like I was chatting to him, but I don't know him personally. He just talked <laughs> to us about it. But he, what he said was that he, um, in the Liverpool game on the first game of the season, they got back in the dressing room and yeah, we'd, we'd lost a couple of. Uh, questionable penalties but they said we've gone toe-to-toe with the team that absolutely destroyed this division and it gave them the beliefs that they could go out and and get points anywhere Mm. so and I think that radiated through to the fans but it's just keeping that reality of genuinely staying up would be an achievement this season because you know that having especially if Bielsa stays for another year um, you're going to strengthen the squad again and because we do have some players that could have easily ended up the career going the other way and, and being in League One, uh, and instead they're playing week in week out in the Premier League. So it's no disrespect to them; they're they're playing absolutely to the best of their ability. But when we had more strength and get more depth, mm. you would hope that a second season of it, you would be able to to start to kick on. Because you know when you play teams like Crystal Palace and they've got the potent attacking force that they have, but they're content to sit really deep with you look and you go, it's just not that enjoyable to watch. And if we could be good, like if we could have the the range of players to play this system, it'd be amazing. That's so that's, yeah, maybe being spoiled. That's where we, we'd like to be down the line. All right. Uh, Just finally tell, tell us a little bit about the podcast and, you know, uh, I know we do have some fans of other clubs who listen to this podcast and maybe some fans of Arsenal would fancy listening to a, a Leeds podcast. I don't quite know why, but they might. So tell us a bit about it and what do you do and when do you do it? Well, we we do a range of podcasts. We do um, interview podcasts with people connected to the club and the city. We do um, monthly specials where we play some games and other bits and pieces. But the the one that we seem to be doing the, the most frequently at the moment is the the match day podcast. So we will get together before the game and do a, a preview with team news and thoughts and general musings. And then we record the second half straight after the game with our initial thoughts and feelings on the game and then put it out a day or so later, uh, splicing the two together. And it often makes for, well, it, can make for rather drunken ramblings or <laughs> euphoria or you get the full mix so sure if you um yeah it'd be worth a listen arsenal fans if, if there's if you get a decent result on uh, on sunday afternoon um come and come and check out the leads that podcast all right you find it where wherever you get podcasts and at leads that.com uh obviously i can't wish you luck for sunday but thank you for being here really appreciate it very interesting and uh and good luck for the season
Cheers. All the best, except for Sunday. Thank you to Paul. He is from the Leeds That podcast, which you can find at leedsthat.com and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Looking ahead to this one, the uh, the manager, as we said earlier, Michael Arteta, has spoken about how he's not going to rip it up, rip up all his plans and all his philosophies ahead of this game following the defeat to Aston Villa. Nevertheless, there is a need to do something different, to find a way to to make the team more creative, to to address some of the issues that we very obviously have. And I think if uh, after the Villa game, imagine we had two weeks off and he had all his players on the training ground. I think there's time there to do something that might be considered markedly different from what we've seen thus far. The fact that so many players have been away, that we've had some COVID diagnoses, that we may have players suffering from fatigue, a bit of travel weariness, and there isn't much time on the training ground to prepare for this particular game, I reckon this is going to be a bit more familiar than people might like, which isn't to say you can't do things differently. There is still scope to make improvements to the way we do things as a matter of course, but also you can put in place some... uh, Uh, tactical tweaks. You can change the formation. You're not necessarily changing to something brand new and revolutionary. You can go back to something that the players understand pretty well, you know, 4-2-1-3, a 4-3-3, something like that. Change up the front three a little bit, play Aubameyang down the middle. You could play Pepe on the right-hand side. My idea of playing Saka on the left-hand side, I like it in general, but I do wonder if, having played three games for England, it might be a bit much to ask of a 19-year-old player who has played a lot already this season. So, you know, there are things like that that as much as we might like to see them, the manager has to look at the the slightly bigger picture while also getting a result against a very difficult team to play against in a game uh, in which the pressure is very much on because of what's come before. And not just Aston Villa, but also Leicester as well, you see. So it is a tricky one for Mikel Arteta. But this is the challenge of the job. This is something he is going to have to contend with throughout his career. Pressure at a big club is a, a prerequisite. That That's just not something you can escape. Um, my feeling, as much as I would like to see a much better performance from Arsenal, is that this is a game in which the result is more important than the actual performance itself. You could say on one hand, well, look, you know, maybe the result didn't go our way, but I like the way we played and we played with a bit more verve and panache and attacking intent. I'm not sure that uh, helps you escape from the criticism of either not winning or losing the game. So I think first and foremost, uh, his decisions will be made about who's fittest, who can last the pace physically, and then about what we might do to try and win this game against a team that are going to give us problems, as we know. Maybe it's the kind of game in which the, the system which has worked against some of the bigger clubs might just work. I don't know. But I don't know that we're going to see a whole raft of changes. I get the sense that uh, when the team is announced on Sunday at 3.30, there's going to be a lot of discussion about it. But if that team comes away from Allen Road with a victory, then uh, the manager will have done his work and earned his money. Uh, if not, then the questions and the uh, the analysis will continue. And he's going to have to find a way 
to uh, to start improving results. So this is a big, big game. A big game. It's been a long time, I think, since I've looked at a fixture list, a Premier League fixture list, and thought, oh, that's quite a handy run of games, isn't it? Yeah, we should do well in those. Every single game nowadays feels like a challenge, a big challenge. And maybe that's because of who we are now and where we are on the table and our standing. But you'd love to see both a result on Sunday and the kind of performance which begins to restore a bit of aura um, about the team that perhaps makes other teams look at us and go, well, I don't actually fancy playing Arsenal today because right now I feel like every team in the Premier League would look at us and go, yeah, give them a good game. Not that worried, not that fussed. That is something we're going to have to address. Whether he can do enough between now and Sunday to to put that in place, we'll wait and see. But it really is about getting a result. So let's keep fingers crossed. We do have players. We do have talent. They don't always show it. There is inconsistency. Uh, but inconsistency means you can be really good one week and not so good the next. So let's hope this is one of the good weeks. James and I will be here on Monday, as ever, with an Arscast Extra to discuss whatever goes down at Ireland road on sunday until then have yourselves a great weekend thank you for being here as always thanks for listening do give us a review on apple podcasts if you like uh, that will be really uh, very much appreciated so until the next one folks take it easy cheers bye-bye Arsenal Football Club today announced disciplinary proceedings against new recruit Willie Willie Williamson. The misfiring forward was seen hanging out with a jazz hand sprinkly meat wanker when he should have been home reading a book. Arsenal chairman Sir Kensington Fryer said, If I find out who gave him a free year deal, he's fucking toast. Salt has now been banned from the training ground. 